Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another week here. Here's what I'd like to do at the beginning of, of this episode. I want to start off with an apology. And essentially, one of the things that I am sorry about, and I really am, is that from time to time, I will come off perhaps as sounding a little bit short or, uh, you know, having sort of an impatient attitude. I guess. Um, <clears throat> much like most of us, I would say that none of this has been easy on any of us with everything that's been going on, uh, not just within the last couple of years, but of course, over the course of, you know, decades for that matter. But all of it sort of coming to a head here over the last four to six years has really been difficult for many, uh, if not us all. And I forget from time to time and consistently have to sort of stop and remind myself that not everybody is waking up and that even those who are waking up are waking up at a particular pace. Some wake up faster than others and they wake up with different issues and they wake up with different subjects that, that come to mind, I guess. Uh, so I want to apologize for my tone if for some you know, during some of the episodes, if I sound a bit short or agitated or angry, uh, I am from time to time, as as one might expect, because I'm not I'm not alone in that regard. But I certainly don't want that to be the constant tone of of this podcast. Is nothing but you know frustration and this that and the other. So yeah, sorry about that. If if that's how some of this comes off, um, along those same lines. There are a number of different subjects that I want to bring up in this episode that, again, all attach to one another and are all linked because there is something that I'm consistently watching that is very alarming. And it is, again, the lack of people making major financial decisions not be aware of the greater scheme at play here. And it's continuously showing how many people are not awake. And, uh, and that is alarming. I, I, really, I really do think that that is a massive problem. Let, let me give you an example. And you've heard me bring this up in the past on, on a number of occasions, but I have a, a, a current story that's specifically related. You know, I've talked about the universities and the colleges being in debt, as they are. They're hundreds of millions of dollars in debt, and they spend money like it's going out of style. I mean, they just, they have no qualms about mismanaging money and spending money on things that they think that they need when in fact they don't. And again, if they saw the bigger picture of what was really happening right now, and the basically the mistakes and the errors that they have made in their decision-making process, in particular over the last two, two and a half years, they would know that what they're doing financially is going to ruin them. But they don't know that. So one local example where I live, and this is not the only place where this is happening, but Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, is spending approximately $169 million on new buildings and renovations all over the place. And the irony is that they're actually throwing up a giant health building 
a health and wellness for faculty and, and students and whatever. It's basically like a giant university hospital for the most part. There may be classes that are held there I don't know. It might end up just being, a, a, again, a basic on-campus hospital. Um, it makes me wonder about a number of different things from a number of different angles. Number one, there's, there doesn't seem to be any way that the university itself believes that they're going to have enough students on their campus in the future to be able to remain afloat as an actual university. Uh, I, I don't know what they're thinking, but they're not thinking. That's, that's pretty evident. Again, you've heard me mention the eyeball test. Anybody driving around a campus, walking around a campus, and I know that it fluctuates in different places all across the, all across the country, but we've seen endless colleges and universities already close. The same is true with K-12 schools. That's not, that's not any different. But here it doesn't pass the eyeball test, and they got caught lying. Well, whether they got caught or not is another matter, I suppose. But I caught them lying when earlier in the year, at the beginning of actually last ac academic year in 2021, they were claiming that Miami University had the most freshman enrollment that they've ever had. That's ridiculous. That's beyond ridiculous. Again, it doesn't pass the eyeball test. There were endless years in the past when you would drive around campus and you would see massive lines of incoming freshmen taking the university tours. And there would be, again, some academic advisors and some students leading these tours with their parents and so on and so forth. And, and you know what I'm talking about because, again, you've probably seen these kinds of things or maybe you yourself participated, uh, you know, if you were a college or university student. I personally never participated in any of that. I didn't even attend the freshman orientation stuff. I just started going to class. Uh, with all of that said, it, doesn't, it, it just doesn't pass the eyeball test when it comes to the number of students that are on the actual campus. So they don't know what they're doing from an enrollment standpoint when it comes to mismanaging their money or managing their money because they don't think they're mismanaging it see this is the this is the this is the uh, multi-dimensional approach here they don't think they're mismanaging it but they are they're building these giant health centers now or at least one of them and they again i mean who who is it going to be for the question i have now is is the companies that are funding this and the people that are putting forth the money for this and whatever name is going to be plastered on the side of the building, not to mention all of the companies that are going to have their products inside of this building, do those higher-ups within those companies, are they dead asleep too? And do they live in the matrix or do they know what the real nefarious plan is? when it comes to the dying off of the people who have taken these shots and the illness that comes with it beforehand in many cases, and that this is all profitable for them. That having these massive medical centers on university campuses is going to be remarkably profitable for them because they know that they're going to have massive quantities of university students who are remarkably ill, if not dying. 
that's that's my that's my question. How far up the chain does a person go does a person need to go before you find somebody who is awake in a nefarious way, I might add, knows what they're doing, trying to profit from again the death and the illness that exists. But how far up that ladder do you have to go in order to hit someone who again knows exactly what they're doing from a financial standpoint so that when it comes time for them to cash in, they get to cash in and then walk away from the entire system as it implodes on itself? I, 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 I'm not sure I know the answer to that question. Um, it's possible none of us know the answer to that question. But I don't think any of this is going to get better. Again, these corporations too around where I live, they're, 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 they're building new buildings. Kroger's, the grocery store. They're renovating buildings, throwing up new buildings, and I'm saying to myself, for what? For who? Um, are they expecting more people around? Are they expecting an increase in population? I, I, don't, I don't understand what this is for. The thought about illegals entered my mind, and is it possible that these corporations, grocery stores, whatever, are, are going to anticipate an influx of illegal aliens. So they need to have more product or more businesses in order to accommodate those individuals. Is, is, that, a, is that a possible avenue? What about universities? Are they going to start taking in illegals? Um, th there's just a lot of questions here. But I think the larger piece that sort of sits over top of all of it is, is there are many people that are making these decisions and working within these settings that have no idea what's going on. They are not awake at all. They're just, again, ants marching in a line, follow the leader, and um, I, don't, I don't see any of it ending well. I can't for the life of me figure out why these colleges and universities are continuously building new buildings when at the other end we're seeing K-12 schools do the opposite. They're, I mean, <laughs> they're making renovations from the COVID cash, as are, of course, universities and other businesses, but I just don't. I, I, I don't understand what it is that the university setting sees or does not see from what's going on at the public, private, and charter level of school. The enrollment is down. The schools are disappearing. Um, people are sick more often. This is, this is remarkably strenuous on a great deal of people. Which leads me to two particular articles here that I, that I want to mention. And the first is an economic one, and it has to do again with the economic impact of these shots. And this article came from Substack, and it was tossed to me by a listener of the podcast, and I thank him for sending it to me. It's from the Forgotten Side of Medicine, the Forgotten Side of Medicine on Substack by a Midwestern doctor. And this was written just a few days ago, and it's titled, All Evidence Suggests the COVID Vaccines Are Causing a Spike in Disability and a Potential Catastrophe for Our Economy. 
Now, they quote Edward Dowd as well, and it's a lengthy article, and I'm not certainly not going to read the entire thing, but I will link this in the description below because I think that it's remarkably important. Um, I will bounce around it a little bit here and just read a few parts. It says, A few days ago, I posted an article suggesting the mRNA vaccines were causing a spike in disability. Since that time, the story has gone viral, and I've had more time to look at the data. Others have as well, and I now feel the case is very strong. Because this message is critically important, I'm writing a second follow-up article on the topic. Um, in this article, I will attempt to present a comprehensive analysis and put the data into context with my experience of having worked with individuals with COVID vaccine injuries and individuals with varying degrees of disability, including those seeking disability. They said the initial discovery of this data set was Ed Dowd, the BlackRock executive who broke the story of the spike in life insurance claims following the vaccine rollout, and he shared this data set, which can be verified. And it shows an increase in the numbers of people over the course of the last, um, let's see, 10 to 13 years in the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. And the number of people who have disabilities has dramatically increased, who are 16 years and older. Um, and that spike increased again during the mass vaccination and the rollout of the vaccinations. That's when it dramatically increased. So again, it's a very lengthy article, but it's remarkably thorough, uh, references a number of different people. And yeah, I, 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 I don't know what else to really add to it. Um, it does say this, it says, this month we want to learn about people who have physical, mental, or emotional conditions that cause serious difficulty with their daily activities. Please answer the following household members who are 15 years or over, 15 years old or over. Is anyone deaf or does anyone have serious difficulty hearing? Is anyone blind or have serious difficulty seeing even while wearing glasses? Because of physical, mental, and emotional condition, does anyone have serious difficulty concentrating, remembering, or making decisions? Does anyone have serious difficulty walking or climbing stairs? Does anyone have difficulty dressing or bathing? Because of a mental, physical, or emotional condition, does anyone have difficulty doing errands uh, alone, such as visiting a doctor's office or shopping? Labor force measures from the CPS are tabulated for persons age 16 and older. It says all six questions in the survey directly overlap with debilitating conditions that overlap with commonly reported effects of COVID vaccine injuries, although the vision and hearing issues are less common. I also must note that many disabling conditions caused by these vaccines are not covered by these survey questions, so the magnitude of harm is still being underestimated. It says overall, I can see four possible explanations for this data. Number one, the COVID vaccines are causing severe chronic injury resulting in partial disability within the population. Number two, the economic downturn from the lockdowns was responsible for this data. Number three, the increase of long-haul COVID is responsible for this data. And number four, sampling errors created by the lockdowns created artifacts within this data. And it continues again. There's just a lot of charts, and it's just very well done. But it's showing an increase, again, in disability, um, an increase in unemployment, 
And again, it's not, as, as you've heard me say, I, I don't think that it's because, again, the, the Biden administration is paying people to not work. I don't think that that's it. Um, the, the writing is on the wall here that it's just slowly increasing less of an actual physical workforce, which is why you're seeing for, for higher signs all over the place. It's not that people don't want to work. It's that they physically can't because they're injured from, from these shots. Or they aren't healing properly, um, you know, from from other shots. Not to mention this term, long haul COVID. Long haul COVID. I, I don't. I don't think this is a real thing. Um, th- there is. There's no such thing. It's been proven that individuals who who naturally became ill, again as a result of all of the different poisoning, not not from taking the shots, but just again. The, the natural occurrences of things or coming in contact again with radioactive waves and EMF radiation and, and whatever else, but that uh, th- they don't have long-term health problems as a result of that, at least not yet. That doesn't seem to be the case. It's the shots that are that are creating these fake terms and these fake names like long-haul COVID and variants and whatever else. They're using all of that as the cover and as the lie for all of the jabbed becoming ill, just like monkeypox. The monkeypox thing is a cover for all of this. So there was just that article again that I wanted to mention, but then there's this, which again reiterates what I brought up earlier regarding the university and the healthcare system. This comes from WND.com and it's titled Fears of the Future. Exodus of American Healthcare Workers and What Comes Next. More and more are transitioning to private practice telehealth. It says it goes without saying that the current global health crisis has had an astronomic impact on American healthcare workers. The internet has been inundated with articles and personal testimonies discussing burnout and the massive amount of stress healthcare workers have been under, but the issues these workers are facing aren't altogether new. In a 2021 study of physicians, 79% of respondents reported that their burnout had begun even before the crisis began. Whether from low wages, long hours, lack of salaried advanced opportunity, or a pre-existing shortage of workers, putting strain on individuals, those stressors have now become amplified, contributing further to a vicious cycle. A recent survey showed that 18% of healthcare workers have quit their job since mid-February of 2021, with an additional 20, 12% rather, laid off in that same time. Of those healthcare workers who stayed, 19% reported that they had considered leaving the healthcare profession altogether, and 12% considered leaving for another role in the industry. And then, of course, it calls, causes its, or calls itself the vicious cycle. Of the healthcare industry faces uh, that it faces is one that propagates into more individuals burnt out and leaving, feeding back into the worker shortage and over worker shortage that overworks those who remain. I agree with that, which again is no different than what's occurred within the um, the education profession. The education profession has experienced the exact same thing. And Jesse James from the Dangerous Info podcast sent me this article from 2019, November 25th of 2019, from uh, capinonline.org. 
and it's titled The Problem with Stories About Teacher Burnout. And this too is a lengthy article, but it hits the nail on the head that it has nothing to do with you know, the, the the overused phrase of burnout as if to say, oh, they're just tired and they just need a vacation and that'll be the thing that fixes it. This entire article has everything to do with having a lack of control over what was perceived to be a, uh, a, a personal controlling environment in a good way, that a teacher could control what they could control and that's all that they had to do and that was good enough and what occurred inside of their classroom was exactly what had to happen, but it's the overreach that, that's occurred within the business that's, that's caused not the burnout, but the actual mental and emotional decline, the turnover rate, the quitting, finding something else to do with their life, leaving the entire business uh, to, to, to someone else, just simply abandoning all of the degrees that they have and everything that they've done within that line of work of education and just saying, I've had enough, I'm, I'm, I'm done with it. See, as I've said in the past, there's no examination of why that's the case. The, these actual environments themselves are not interested in reading. They aren't interested in thinking. The, all of these lines of work, the nursing, the, the, the medical industry, the education industry, they are all, well, they tend to all be generally the same in their wavelength of thought, which is we're told what to do and how to think, and therefore we have to do what we're told to do, and we have to think how we're told to think, and if we don't, we'll lose our job. So let's just all play ball, and let's all just be team players and not actually think about why we're seeing the problems that we're seeing. Why is it that so many people are leaving? Why is it that so many people who are here again, at least 20%, don't want to be here. See, that's not good for any business. If you have 20% of your workforce working within an environment and they're unhappy and don't want to be there, it's not necessarily because things are going on in their own personal lives that's causing that. It's probably because the environment itself is remarkably destructive, incredibly unhealthy, and again, all of the coercion and the manipulation and the drugging and all of that, that can't be helping anything. This is all purposeful. This is all being done on purpose. And again, these very businesses themselves and, and fields of education have no idea that that's the case. They have no idea that all of this is a giant intentional. This is not some societal accident. This is a big deal. But hey, who cares, you know, because they throw up a new building and uh, some parents with their kids show up, uh, you know, to show up at a university and they, they point at the building and they say, hey, look at that brand new building over there. See, we're on our way. We're doing things. We're on the move. Everything's great. The exact opposite is true. It's absolutely astounding. And where this article that Jesse James sent me, the problem with stories about teacher burnout really hits the nail on the head, is that it's a moral dilemma because the vast majority of the most effective educators enter the profession for very moral reasons. They want to do the right thing. They want to help students achieve and become real thinkers. 
uh, they're not solely hung up on on their subject matter within a textbook because again, the most effective educators know that just because it's in a textbook doesn't mean it's real. And again, most of what we're taught in K twelve school is a complete lie anyway, and that's very difficult for people to wrap their arms around. But that's a fact. And um, getting students again to to think outside of all of those constraining boxes is is what an effective educator really does. But the moral dilemma lies in the environment itself becoming immoral. And clearly, over the last, again, 20-plus years, it's become remarkably immoral. I would go back even further. I would say that the introduction of the bread and circus within these schools, K-12 schools in particular, um, all of it, all, all of these societal pressure, you know, pressures and, and what people refer to as rites of passage, like prom dances and things like that, all of that led to a massive amount of immorality and degeneracy that has contributed. I mean, it's the very, again, it's the very decisions that the people that work within these environments fail to see that because they're making these decisions, this is why we are, we are seeing everything disintegrate. But see, as I've even brought up numerous times in the past, these are not individuals that will ever admit fault. They, they just won't. It is quite literally within their, their personalities as individuals to not accept any fault. There's no way that it was my fault or our fault. We, we, we want nothing but the best for students, and if you disagree, well, then there's something wrong with you. It's outrageous. We're watching this collapse, and yet there are so many people that work within these, within these businesses and these lines of work that have no idea that the ground that they walk on is cracking and about to break, just like, again, walking on thin ice in the middle of a frozen lake. They have no idea. They're too busy looking around and with their head up in the air and their nose up and their chest out to see that below them, it's, it's being destroyed. So, that's, again, that's what this article pointed out. The article pointed out that people are leaving because the environment is immoral and it's the most moral people that are leaving. Because what does the environment do then? If a moral person stays within an immoral environment, the, the inner turmoil within that individual has to go one way or the other. They either have to become completely immoral themselves and remain within that immoral environment, or they have to remain moral and leave. Because it can't be both. So they have to make a decision. They have to go, they have to go in, in one direction or another. So there's that. Okay. Here's another one. Again, same vein, same kind of thing. This was from The Telegraph, written by Craig Simpson. And uh, it's, it's beyond bizarre. But this comes again from the UK, and it's titled the following, and I have a big problem with this, as, as you might expect. And I know the listeners of this will have a big problem with this too. It's titled, Cancel Culture is Beneficial for Social and Racial Justice. Academics at almost 100 UK universities 
taking an anti-racism course, have been urged to share collective expressions of moral outrage. Now, first of all, cancel culture is Bolshevism. This is another word manipulation thing that I detest beyond belief. It is not cancel culture, and even these pseudo-conservatives who you will hear say the word cancel culture, and we need to fight back against cancel culture. Those people are a part of the problem because they aren't saying what it really is. It's flat-out Bolshevism. And the, what, what defines it specifically as Bolshevism is that social and racial justice, quote-unquote, is far from, far from being just. It is our way or no way. That's, that's their opinion. And again, destroying these people's lives, innocent people, because they simply disagree with you or they happen to know more than you do. Again, it's not cancel culture. It is a Bolshevik tactic to destroy an individual financially, as far as their employment is concerned, ruin their name, slander them any way you possibly can, and then keep them from gaining employment in the future because you don't like them, or you're on a mission to destroy them. See, that's that's so demonic in so many ways, uh, I almost can't even describe. But uh, let me get into this article here. It says, quote, Cancel culture has benefits, quote unquote. Academics at almost 100 UK universities have been told as a part of, anti of an anti-racism course. The Open University has devised a training program titled Union Black, backed by... 500,000 quid of Stantider, uh, of Stantider investment, which offers teaching staff lessons, including, quote, white people have a responsibility to solve the problem of racism, unquote. Academics taking the course are urged to become active allies in advancing racial justice. Course materials reveal and taught about the advantages of canceling people and institutions. It's Bolshevism, creating Bolshevik gangs within universities, K-12 schools, etc., etc. And they're doing this, I might add, not just with faculty members, because faculty have always, well, not always, but in recent years have, have openly participated in these kinds of tactics. They've now recruited students to do the exact same thing. Because you heard me mention this in the past also, that Endless colleges and universities have these anonymous investigative boards where anybody can file a complaint against anyone that they don't like just because they don't like them. And then all of the sudden, said individual, typically a faculty member, although now a student as well, will be viewed as being guilty before proven innocent. And if it's shown that the individual who made the complaint falsified the entire thing and simply made it up, there's absolutely no consequences for those individuals, whether they, again, be students or faculty members or, or whatever. But there should be lawsuits because falsely accusing people of something that puts them through emotional turmoil, pain, etc., should be a prosecutable offense, certainly something that someone could be sued for in, in civil court. 
but it's Bolshevism. End of story. Uh, continues, it says, material in one online module states, quote, in relation to racial and social justice, cancel culture has been shown to realize benefits. Examples of these benefits in the material included holding people or entities accountable for immoral or unacceptable behavior and promoting collective action to achieve social justice and cultural change through social pressure. Bolshevism. <laughs> it's, just, it's just Bolshevism. This is it. Get in a room with your cohorts. Collude with one another to destroy someone, make up an entire scheme, an entire plan, and then go after them and then carry out said plan. It continues, it says court documents, I'm sorry, course documents also add motivating allies to reveal themselves as an advantage along with mobilizing public opinion and sharing collective expressions of moral outrage. That means, again, fabricating your own message to the public to convince the public that you're right and the person that they're falsely accusing is wrong. It continues, the documents urge due diligence, quote-unquote, before effectively canceling someone, which is an act of making an individual a pariah, often through social media pressure and sometimes to the point of people losing their jobs. That has become a growing issue in academia. Bolshevism. Kathleen Stock lost her role at the University of Sussex amid a social media storm over her comments on transgender issues. Uh, it then says this, last-ditch appeal for justice. Critics of cancel culture, Bolshevism, have often accused online mobs of enforcing moral conformity, but the Union Black Course documents Documents said that the phenomenon of calling out people for their transgressions is a last-ditch appeal for justice, adding that social media can be a place to sow discord. The Union Black course, launched in 2021, has been taken up by select academics and students in around 90 UK universities, including Leeds, Liverpool, Bristol, and Imperial College London. Ah, it continues, continues, continues. There's training materials and so on and so forth. Teaching staff and students taking the course are invited to sign a declaration of intent at the close of the course in which they can acknowledge that, quote, systemic racism is deeply entrenched in society, unquote. And, quote, racism may have influenced what I am being taught and what I am teaching. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a Bolshevik cult. That's it. It's a cult. They're making you sign a paper at the end admitting all the same thing that is not real. Drink the Kool-Aid, ladies and gentlemen. Just drink out of this punch bowl and everybody will be okay. This is astounding. And it's not new. It's been going on for well over 100 years. It will continue to take place until every single one of these environments is filled with the exact same kind of person. These immoral, demonic monsters. Because it can't be filled with moral people, as I brought up earlier. It's the morally sound that are leaving K-12 schools. It's the morally sound students and teachers alike that are also, again, leaving university and college settings. 
while the most immoral and brain dead are remaining. My tactic for this is relatively straightforward. And there will be people that will disagree with this, and that's okay. But there will be people that will agree. Over the course of time, as I'm sure many can attest to, your skin becomes thicker. In particular, when you come face to face with pure evil and pure stupidity, and those two things combined are a very, very dangerous thing. So they think. So my tactic for people like this is you double down. If they come after you and you accuse you of being a racist, just tell them you're a racist to their face. I mean, just say it. You may not be. I'm not, but because, again, the word racism is mathematically impossible. It doesn't even exist. But give them nowhere to go. Just double down. Double down on everything. So I saw you put out a meme about this. That's really offensive. What's that means? Damn right I put out a meme. A hundred percent. That's my meme. I put it out on my page. What are you going to do about it? First Amendment, deal with it. Just double down. Double down. Print them off a copy. Hand it to them face to face. You have to double down with these people. Give them absolutely nowhere to go. Give them nowhere to go. Or fight fire with fire. Go back at them. Go back at them full bore. Call Black Lives Matter a racist organization, and if they if they uh, you know if they support Black Lives Matter, then they're then they're racists. I mean, just use their own tactics against them, and give them nowhere to go. Because again, any onlooker is going to see those two parties and not want to deal with any of them, because they're not going to be able to understand the difference between the two. So, that's that's my approach with these kinds of people. Uh, you you have to distance yourself from them first of all because they're ridiculous and who would want to you know be sucked into this kind of behavior and, and these kinds of people because they'll just drain you of everything that you you know any kind of moral energy that you have in your body because they are immoral leeches. I mean th- th- that's about it. But if you can't avoid them, double down. Just double down. You have the right to say what you want. They don't have the right to come after you falsely, and you're going to sue them now in civil, in, in civil court. You have a lawyer. You have a civil lawyer. You've handed over all the false accusations that, that have been you know, tossed your way, and now, now you're going to be sued. Again, receiving you know, th- these very individuals who do these kinds of things, when they receive a letter in the mail from a law firm that says, we're considering serious legal action against you if you fail to cease and desist all of your behavior and actions regarding so-and-so and regarding, you know, these events and XYZ. When a person receives letterhead from a law firm, to the average individual, it will scare the shit out of them. It usually does, in particular if it's a university student that receives legal letterhead or it's a faculty member themselves, because what they apparently don't think is that there are going to be – they don't seem to understand that there are lawyers even within their own lines of work that work within these universities that will not defend them. They won't defend them. They'll look at these professors that are engaging in these Bolshevik tactics and they'll say things like, why aren't you just teaching your subject? Why aren't you just doing your job and going home? Why is it that you've decided to engage in this 
militant club that's going after people and accusing them of things? Why don't you just do your job? See, these people are so dumb that they don't understand that more eyes on them and more eyes on what they do and how they behave is a bad thing for them. It's not a good thing. They're not going to receive praise and pats on the back and be carried off of the field like Rudy at the end of the movie Rudy. It's not going to happen. The music won't play and there won't be people cheering them as they're doing this. It's, it always backfires. Bolshevism always backfires because all you have to do is outnumber them. If you outnumber the people that engage in these tactics, or even if you don't outnumber them, but you know exactly what it is and what it really is called and the tactics in which a Bolshevik behaves, you'll be, you'll be solid. You'll be good as gold. They'll have nowhere to go. They'll be constantly slipping on ice while you're standing on firm ground. That's, that's my point. So keep an eye out for that because that's not going away. Uh, that's going to get worse, and it's going to get worse even at the K-12 public school level, and it already is. That's part of what this social-emotional learning stuff is all about. It's about turning, and it always has been, by the way, it's always been about having students turn against one another and rat one another out because someone's feelings got hurt, because someone was doing something or dressing a particular way that they thought was offensive. The perfect example of that was the MAGA hats. Remember all that from a, from a number of years back, 2016 plus, for like four straight years, one of the major things that occurred and created conflict in K-12 schools was people wearing MAGA hats. Even at the college and university level, a student would raise their hand and say, teacher, professor, can, uh, can you tell that student over there wearing that offensive red hat to take it off? Because it's really offensive to me. I mean, that was a major source of conflict, and it was hilarious because the people wearing the MAGA hats knew exactly what they were doing, and I loved it. I loved it because all it did was just grind the gears of these emotionally soft losers who are Bolsheviks, and they have no idea, again, that their stance on things is the furthest thing from the truth that they could possibly imagine. But they can't be saved. I mean, they, you know, they can't be helped. Some of them have probably learned the errors of their ways, but um, I'm sure many haven't. So there's that. Okay. More money mismanagement here. Shifting gears slightly, but still in the school realm. And by the way, I want to end this episode with just an awesome post from from someone on GreatAwakening.win. It was lengthy and very good, I thought, because again, it had to do with this giant struggle that we're all in, in this huge war, and how difficult it is to see things and experience things and, again, not, not have everybody basically become awake as quickly or timely as, uh, as we would like. But this comes from the Detroit Free Press, and I know that Jesse James sent this my way on, from the Dangerous Info podcast, and he's, he's going to certainly cover it on his podcast too, I'm sure, but this has money laundering uh, and kickbacks written all over it. Detroit Free Press. Governor Whitmer to sign a bill to send $37.5 million for Oxford Recovery School Safety. 
Yikes. Keep in mind, the Oxford school system already had millions of dollars going to it, and the families who, who lost a kid in the Ethan Crumbly shooting, they already had lots of money coming their way. Lots of money coming their way. But now she's signing this bill for more school safety, allegedly, or safety assessments. I'll, I'll briefly read through this here. In fact, I'm just going to read these bullet points. It says this. It says the bill provides three buckets of money. It actually says buckets. Like buckets is a unit of measurement or something. <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. Here's your bucket of cake. Here's your bucket of money. Uh, it says the bill provides three buckets of money. Number one, the first bucket, $10 million will go to the Oxford Community Schools to be spent on recovery from the shooting, which can include personal and additional student supports, including psychologists, family liaisons, mental health staff, school security, additional learning time, legal fees, and the physical restoration of a school building. See, they, they already fixed the building. They already repainted it and put up new stickers. That doesn't cost $10 million. It's not that expensive. Again, wh where do they come up with these numbers? Who's coming up with these numbers? The next bucket of, of cash is $15 million, which will go to a school safety grant program. Ah, the grants. This is where you hide the cash. School districts and private schools can apply for the grants, which would cover safety and security assessments. So someone's going to get paid a ton of money to show up and go, need to put a camera here, need to put a camera over here, make sure this door is locked, have a security guard here, blah, blah, blah. Ladies and gentlemen, they're making K-12 schools more of a prison than they already are. They're going to destroy the minds of future generations if we continue to send them to these places. The last bucket has $12.5 million crammed into it, and it will go to local school districts and private schools for critical incidents mapping, quote-unquote, which involves creating detailed maps of school buildings for law enforcement. Ladies and gentlemen, that doesn't cost $12.5 million. I can print off a map of a school building on my printer right here for free and send it to anybody for free. It's beyond ridiculous. And now, of course, what they're going to do also in the future, mark my words, if they aren't already doing it, is they're designing school buildings to be more open so it will look like maybe a giant circle in, in, in some cases where there won't be actual hallways. It will look more like a prison and gen pop in a prison where someone is overlooking a giant atrium area where everybody is, and then they all go into their classrooms in a giant circle where all the doors face one another. And then when the class ends, they all intermingle like they're in Gen Pop again, and then they all end up going into their own particular cells, i.e. the classroom. Um, this is just nuts. Again, the... Yeah, this is nuts. It says this. It says uh, further down, leaders with Michigan Education Association praised the legislation in a news release. Jim Gibbons, an Oxford High band director and president of the Oxford Education Association, 
wrote that coordinating this bill involved conversations with Oakland schools leaders, uh, Oxford school officials, lawmakers, and the governor. The nearly $10 million to Oxford includes legal fees, which may help cover the expenses of fighting multiple lawsuits filed against the district over the past six months. Boom. There it is. The actual legislation, your tax dollars in Michigan, are going to go to the legal defense in the Crumbly shooting of the counselor, the principal, maybe the superintendent, etc., etc. All of the people who were actually negligent and criminally so in this case. Think of that one now. Swallow that for a second. The governor in Michigan signed a bill where your tax dollars are going to go to the criminal legal defense in civil court of the people who should have checked Ethan Crumbly's backpack. This is nuts. This is absolutely nuts. The parents who actually lost kids are suing these people, and the state is going to be defending the people that they're suing. God help us all, ladies and gentlemen. That's I don't I don't know what else to add. God help us all on that one. What a criminal racket. What an absolute racket. Okay. I'm going to end this episode with this post. I had one more article I wanted to I wanted to read, but it's not surprising. I'll just briefly describe it. It has to do with how the Pfizer documents openly admit uh, that jabbing the military and the mandates for jabbing the military are completely illegal because it's emergency use authorization only, and they have no plans on making it official. Uh, and 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 taking off the label of emergency use authorization because again the cat would be out of the bag on that and I mean God help the military and the number of people who have been jabbed in the military. Time time's going to tell here on that one. Okay, here's the anonymous post uh, that I wanted to read, and it says, "Quote this again is from Great Awakening It's titled I Fear Death a Lot Less Than Living in a World I No Longer Recognize." It says, quote, I'm older than a lot of people who are awake. That means that I am around in the days when America still felt like America. We had a Memorial Day parade every year in grade school, and we'd walk down the suburban streets near the school waving flags and eating popsicles. We said the Pledge of Allegiance every day, and we learned about the importance of democracy throughout my years of schooling. Yeah, I was the generation that played outside until the streetlights came on and cartoons only came on Saturday mornings. Nobody had much materially back then, but in hindsight, I realized we had much more than we knew. I see what we've lost already since those days, maybe with a clearer view than younger folks. I'm coming from a different point of view. I remember the America where someone came out and pumped your gas and wiped your windshield and said, sure is a beautiful day, quote unquote. I miss the simplicity of life back then. When your father worked at the same company his whole life and your mother stayed home and made you a sandwich when you came home from school. Oh, sure. America still had a lot to learn back then. And there were things we needed to fix. But we knew who we were as people. And we were united in our declaration. 
that to be and live free was the most important thing in life. Things started changing after Kennedy was killed, and the Vietnam War seemed to be a harbinger of things to come. I could palpably feel the change, as if some kind of dark cloud was gathering on the horizon. It would take me 30 more years to figure out where the dark clouds came from and who was responsible for them. I wish I could say that everything is going to be all right, that the days of simplicity and good education and respectful children and happy families are going to come back sometime soon. I think it will happen one day, but I'm not sure we'll completely right the ship in my lifetime. In some important way, the world is forever changed. We can never paddle back to 1952. So my scars are deep, so are yours. We have collective scars. Even people who don't completely understand what's happening around them. Our lives, our country, our friends, and family and neighbors are suffering and may suffer more as the days pass. Some of that suffering is hidden. A few unpaid bills, a lack of formula for the baby, the shock of filling up our tanks, and there's a loss of a family member from COVID or missing people who are gone from our lives because of disagreements. Scars used to be something we could be proud of at the end of a battle we fought. Those scars showed we had survived something. But the kind of scars we're seeing now are wounds not inflicted by the long course of life, but purposefully by others who have decided that they want a different kind of world. There's the kind of scars that are hard to abide because they bleed more and heal slowly. Those scars are as deep as our love for our families and our communities and our country. It hurts me to see my neighbors picking through packages of chicken at the grocery store or going in the counter at the gas station to give them their last $20 bill. It kills me to see so many young people in the obituary section of the newspaper and not worry about my own kids. I wake up most mornings afraid to look at the news, afraid to make plans for my old age, knowing all the while, the next week, the next year, hell, even tomorrow, are so uncertain. I'm not in control of my life anymore, and so the future sort of looms ahead in the shape of a big question mark. But here's what I want to say. The man who said, quote, there is nothing to fear but fear itself, was a smart man. Well, Franklin Roosevelt was a warmonger. Uh, he was a liar, a borderline pedophile, and a Freemason. So I don't know how smart he was. But anyway, I get their point. It's a good saying. Uh, it continues, sorry, it says, what he meant was that being afraid is worse than death. It steals moments from you. It steals joy from your soul. It robs you of the freedom you truly live. Ask anyone who survived the Holocaust how important dignity and hope were to their survival. Well, that's another matter too. Anywho, it says, uh, like those survivors, you can find a peace, you can find peace floating on a shard of wood after a shipwreck or watching as a cyclone passes by your house. It is possible to find a calm place inside of you, no matter what is happening outside your window. What you do is just breathe. You assure yourself that no matter what happens, the dignity and pride you've built over a lifetime cannot be taken from you in any shape or form. Surrounding you and within you is all the beauty and goodwill you've collected through the years, no matter how long or short your life has been. 
I fear death a, a lot less than I fear living in a world I no longer recognize. There are things worse than death, that much I know after all these years. Given into the demands of your enemy or hiding your head in the sand rather than standing proud for what you believe in, those things to me are worse than death. For once you stop fearing death, you can raise your sword and run into battle. Or you can open your window and see the truth penetrating the glass. That's an act of self-love, however silly that might sound. But we all know the truth shall set us free. Don't think too much about the end of the war. That's not half as important as what you do and how you approach today. We're all learning to live in the moment. To be present right now and create change and engage in resi resistance by sheer will. That's the only way anyone has ever changed tomorrow. Like every other soldier in history, there are days that feel like years to me. I miss my old life. I take it out of my pocket and I look at it like a picture from time to time. But then I pick up my sack and march on across the field, unafraid and ready to die if I have to. I've been called upon, I guess, to do this for my fellow man, for the family that will continue on when I have left the earth. Our battle today is the only hope for tomorrow, and so I do this for them." Unquote. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.